Hi, this is Jonathan, and I play the human wizard, Jonathan the Magimuscular. Hi, I'm Jack. I play Trevancore, a half-elf Beastmaster Ranger. Hi, this is John. I play your half-orc barbarian, Carlton Tanks. Hi, this is Julia. I play the rock gnome cleric, Bernice Q. Burns. And I'm Lauren, your humble DM, and welcome to Distinguished Adventurers. Distinguished Adventurers, I'm not going to give a recap, because the recap is... Welcome to the finale of the Heralds of Greenest, and if you would like a recap, I would like to direct you to the last several hundred episodes of our show, because you know what? We love these characters, and we're pretty proud of them, and they've had a life. And now we're going to learn a little bit more about what they do after level 20, after becoming heroes of not just Greenest, but all of Faerun. So, with that vagueness... I'm going to start by talking about my drink, which is a gift from Luke, actually. He bought this for me literally like two months ago and said, hey, you know, when you do your final final Heralds of Greenest episode, go ahead and, and drink this. And so it is Flying Cauldron Butterscotch Beer. It is non-alcoholic, which is funny. It is a giant, giant bottle, which is kind of cool looking. And I had to look it up because I did not know this company. I did not know who Flying Cauldron was. And yeah, it's really good. It's it's very smooth and creamy, and I am a fan, which is probably a bad idea because it's full of sugar, so I'm going to be up all night. Carlton, what are you drinking? I have impenetrable tea from our friends over at Friday Afternoon, uh, and I've got hey. it in my uh, Dragon's Lair Austin Camp mug because it is warm and happy, and the Pacific Northwest is cold and drizzly. Finally. Yeah, which is a, a big change from Texas. Very wet versus very dry. And it's, I'm enjoying a nice cup of tea where it's not a thousand degrees, you know, in the middle of November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just happy it's now a proper Seattle, well, proper Pacific Northwest in general winter. I'm glad. I'm very glad. Travancore, what are you drinking? Good people of Faerun. Travancore's choice this evening was, was difficult to come by, but I decided at the end of the day, maybe the best ale to go for is God's ale. So what I have today is water. Cheers. Cheers unto you. Bernie, what are you drinking? Uh, I, too, am blessed with God's Ale. And uh, as per usual, I did have a dessert, but it got eaten before we started recording. So nothing if not on brand. Uh, so <laughs> I don't milk chocolate cookie, chip cookies, but I'm not like heathen. I had milk with that. Did you did you actually dip or no, was it just drinking with? OK, I don't dip cookies like I don't. So this is something I recently discovered why people and maybe this is more like a British thing with like the biscuits, but like all my Canadians know about Farm Boy. I got for my desk what I thought were these like little individual servings of cookies and woe be to me, I did not look at the box apparently at all because they were like a vegan, uh, which apparently in Farm Boy talk is code for like the driest fucking cookie you've ever had in your life. And that cookie got dipped in some shit because I was like, I'm eating sawdust. And the thing is, I've had vegan cookies that are chewy and delightful. Which part of the cookie making process, and this is something you might not know, what did the vegan factor into? Because I figure like egg and butter are pretty important to have good yeah. substitutes for. So I assume a lot of, I know they're, I know that uh, coconut Oil Good, is, yeah. is a is a big sub. I have no clue what they did. I have no clue what they did because I have had vegan cookies that are phenomenal. It's not hard. I've had many, but this this was like, and I don't know if it's because they were sort of designed to have a longer shelf life. Like they weren't mm. like a bakery cookie. And I think they were kind of having to be like, well, I don't know what they did. I don't know. Farm Boy. Usually, <laughs> they did bad. It sounds yeah. like. <laughs> They're usually, I love Farm Boy, honestly, and I thought, I just saw a chocolate chip cookie, and I can keep them at my desk for when I just need, and I, I dipped those in tea, actually, <laughs> to try okay. to just, like, I was just like, what is this? And I really, and the, that day, I was like, I just need dessert. Oh, God. So, all that is to say, no, I'm not a cookie dipper. I am a, I am the kind of person that's like, as long as it's not so hot that it's causing like third degree burns on my tongue, I'm okay with a cookie that's like so warm and chewy that it's still, mm. it's just kind of warm cookie dough. Steven, 
legitimately waits 10 minutes for cookies to cool after he pulls them out of the oven. Uh-uh. You've I talked about this. You've talked about the self-restraint. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. understand. He has, like, Stephen doesn't binge watch shows. He now, doesn't. Okay. Doesn't. I, he doesn't. That, that I'm with him with. I have learned over the last seven or eight years of my life that I, I also do not binge watch shows. I don't like it. I get tired. It doesn't matter how good the show is. It happened to me with Stranger Things season two. We binged it over a weekend. And by the end of it, I wanted it to be over. Not because it was good, but because I just got tired of it. And what I've discovered is having time in between to digest and to look forward heightens my enjoyment of any show. Now and that we have a toddler, I, to... I can't binge anymore. And I have been enjoying stuff more. Like I'll like pseudo binge where I'll do like two or three episodes, but not like all the episodes. So like yeah. small binges, I'm all for. Where it's like I get my good chunk of a fix and then I get a break because, you know, I want daddy. Yeah, I will say, Lauren, you're correct. It is better. Well, I think I think it, if you can, can binge, that's cool, but no, I just can't. Legitimate, honestly, it is legitimately more enjoyable. Like the slow release that like Disney has done on their platform, I think is genius for a lot of reasons. I wanted to watch. We had time. Another episode of Welcome to Wrexham. <laughs> and he said no. And I couldn't convince him otherwise. All this is to say is perfectly on brand. I have water, but I had milk with my cookies. <laughs> I love that we've had three different conversations and yet you managed to bookend it with water and cookies. That's impressive. What but a no, journey. Hold on. That's a horrible <laughs> soundbite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Milk plus cookies. No dipping. Water that I'm drinking right now. Why? Because not a heathen. There yeah. you go. This is where proper use of commas and the Oxford comma are very important to separate all that, yeah, to delineate ask, all just that. Just ask JFK and Stalin how important Oxford commas are. You know what? There were Oxford commas in that entire statement of mine. You just couldn't see them because I'm not Victor Borga going. Anyway, Jonathan, what are you drinking? Hey, it's Jonathan. I play Jonathan the Med Muscular, and I have a Truly. It's a strawberry lemonade. It's my favorite Truly, but it's still a seltzer. I'll tell you all what I really want. It was something I had at lunch last week. It was the Coop Ale Works, and I'm wearing their shirt. Uh, peach pageant Berlinger style Weiss Ale. Uh, this was the first beer I'd had in a long time, and I saw that it was a Coop Ale Works. I saw that it was a peach, and it was absolutely delightful. But no, because I'm a diabetic and because I can't have beer all the time, I have this crap. <laughs> well, yay! I'm, I'm having I'm having fake beer in. In, in your honor. How about that? Cool. The, the non-alcoholic butterscotch cream soda. It's close enough for jazz. All right. After all of that, we're going to talk about our characters for a little bit. You've been playing these characters for quite a number of years. We've gotten you from level one all the way to level 20. There's been a lot of adventures. We thought it was a good idea. Before we go on with other things, before, you know, we've talked about a new campaign. We've talked about a bunch of other stuff in between. We're not like sunsetting these characters in the sense of like, we're never going to pull them out again because, you know, there might be one shots and other things in the future. But these characters deserve a little bit of, hey, what comes next? What what do you want to do now that you're level 20 and can kind of do what you want? You know, we've we've you've done a lot of good in the world. So. Do we still want to have everybody roll to decide who goes first, or would someone like to go first? I'll go first. Or would, well, you know what? Jack has offered for Travancore to go first. So let's start with this. So my question, it's not tell me what happens for the rest of your life, but think about it this way. It's been a couple of 10 day at least since everything that happened at Wendergods, everything that's happened at Waterdeep. You've had a chance to kind of rest and recover from all those experiences. Tell me a little bit about what is Travancore doing in the short term and what are kind of his plans in the longer term? Like what are his his longer term goals now that he is free and clear of a lot of his obligations as far as like Prakanum and saving your lineage and saving Waterdeep and things like that? Well, I think definitely short term, he's going to try and be a better uh, boyfriend to Olivia Passerac and be around once in a while. So they're going to... Using the gonna, B word. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Commitment. 
Yeah. She gave you a kiss that once, you know? It's got to start gonna somewhere. Comment or opine on how long they're together or whatever, because you never know when we're going to visit these these characters. Some relationships work out, some don't. We're going to find out with this one. Uh, so a lot of his afternoons will be filled with uh, him like going to events with her, just talking trash about the local nobles or checking out that place that where the turtle sells that really good seafood barbecue. I don't know if Travancore actually made it way down there, but if he hadn't done that already in the game, he definitely did that. As far as the medium to long term for Travancore, I think for a long time he was wondering what he was going to do when everything was over with the Heralds of Greenest, at least when they went their separate ways, whether he was going to go back home, whether he was going to stay here, whether he was just going to escape to that Isle in the I forget what even I don't even remember what anything's called anymore. In the plane of water? Yeah, in the plane of water, right? And I think what Travancore realized is that he doesn't have to be any one thing. Like he can determine what he is. He can be of two places or three places or as many or as few places as he wants. So I think his plan is to go back and forth. Like to go home, to share what he's learned and to share what he knows so that there is a long term strategy changes people. And to go back to Faerun too, to help out where he's needed because you know, he's a big goddamn hero, that Travancore. And he then, is. of course, Shadow is also of Faerun, so he'll always be connected to the land, not just through his friends, not just through his time here, but through his Shadow, his, his bear brother, right? So, I think Travancore, you know, starts where he is, uses what he has, and does what he can for, for as long as time as needed. And, you know, maybe he comes to the throne, maybe he doesn't, maybe he comes up with something better, maybe he doesn't. I would say that if we're talking that long term, he probably finds a way to gently either nudge or push Burkhanim as a whole, less towards having a monarchy or an absolute monarch or whatever, and more towards having people make decisions for themselves. But he's, you know, a health elf, so people live longer. So I think he's trying to do it gradually as opposed to peeling the band-aid off and then having chaos ensue. So he tries to do it in a thoughtful way. I think he stays in touch with the Heralds of Greenest too. Um, I think he tries to... T- touch base with them he's probably had adventures with the other ones at some point down the line but i think this this new travancore is basically just um kind of i don't want to use the smart hulk metaphor because if you've read the the hulk comics you know that the quote-unquote professor hulk was just another persona right and mm. people will grow and change there isn't this some rest state you reach where like you're just you and all of your problems are solved and you're forever you people change all the time i i assume that travancore is going to be a much more cranky old man who is much more willing to speak his mind um just because he doesn't have time to mess around with anybody anymore but i think that's just kind of what he chooses to do like to help out where he's needed not worry about too much about where he is as long as he's fully present in the place where where he is at the time let me ask one last question you say you go back to perconum the stuff that you had found out about the curse that was on your family was not well known. It was a very, very, very well-kept secret. How much of that do you tell people and how much of that do you just let it go into history and move forward? Hmm. I think Travancore finds a way to tell the story without telling the story. I think eventually, like, maybe he partners with a local artist or something and comes up with uh, sort of stories like, tells what he needs to tell and changes details and names so that the truth is out there in some way, shape, or form, but not in a way that can be linked to his family. And he doesn't even care about protecting his, his family so much as protecting his people, because it, you know, you can you can reveal the truth and have the truth come out and then have it just, like, ruin people's lives, because if anything about recent events have taught us anything, is you have to be very careful what you say if you're in your position of power. You say the wrong thing, you can tank an economy. And, and people have trouble paying their bills and pay, covering the mortgage and, and having f- enough fuel for the winter. Not talking about anything particularly, but like... Not talking just... any lettuces? <laughs> yes, well. And, or not talking about any historic like representation at the top of a nuclear power or anything like that. Mm. Jack, I have a question for Travancore. Does he import apples to Perconum? Oh hell yeah! <laughs> yeah of course he's he definitely he's def. I'm glad you mentioned that he's defo starting an orchard. He's gonna find the the place. He's gonna study this for a while. He's not gonna go willy nilly blind into it. He knows uh, Perconum's like climate and everything like that. He's gonna find the best place where they can survive. He's gonna talk to the the foremost horticultural experts from both Faerun and Perconum. He's gonna give that orchard a best sh- the best shot. <laughs> Ken, hold oh, on, but- Warren. This is a personal request. 
Can we force Jack to roll to see if he accidentally makes apples an invasive species? I'm just thinking that we're going to have a one shot where there's protesters about this invasive species. I just really, all I can think of is how um, kudzu, kudzu is like taking over the Appalachian <laughs> And in my head, like the apples somehow thrive at first and Travancore is like, yes. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's like kind of like ooblick and- <laughs> So all the hard work he did to protect his family and his kingdom brought down by foreign foreign prophecy of the curse. Curse is just different. Also, the idea of an apple ruining a people is not a new one. Here's here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna I'm gonna blunt this a little bit. Travancore. Yo yo. I would like you to roll either a nature or persuasion check. So nature to use your natural abilities to help make this all happen persuasion to make sure that you're talking to the right people to do the right thing i thought it was going to be persuasion to tell the apple seeds no don't invade okay no if you want want to go into your druidness and do that i'll also he literally is a druid i know like if you want to you want to do that but give me me a roll oh by the way john i'm so glad you brought that up i'm gonna roll persuasion check sure heart of the cards come on no oh no oh (laughs) 21. Excellent. With a 21, there are a few rough starts. There's a few moments, some years in where basically every time you bring over a new bunch of apples, a new, I don't know what they call them, because they're, they're not different variety? species of apples. Variety. Right? variety. Yeah, it's a, a variety. variety of apple. No matter how much research you and these experts, these expert farmers do, you know, bringing them over is a little bit different. And so every variety you bring on over, there's like a year in where it it kind of gets out of control a little bit. But then you figure out the right way to to kind of contain them to make sure that the seeds that get out into the wildlife are not completely taking over the landscape. But yeah, it, it becomes this weird cycle in where you bring over some red apples and then for four or five years, that's just all you can really focus on. You bring over some green apples for four or five years. That's all you can really focus on. I would imagine Seekin is one of those people that you talk to, uh, and and you said you were to glad your that own Jonathan. Detriment. <laughs> you know what? I think some of it good, some of it bad. This is Seekin's lane, though. I feel like this is the perfect place to apply him. His ability to explain, not his lane. <laughs> so I think where Seekin excels is at helping you propagate these apples, helping them grow. Where he fails. Mm is the idea of containment. The idea of, (laughs) no, they really can't take over the landscape. But more to Jonathan's point, was there anything with your your druid abilities that you wanted to explore, look into? Were you going to go talk some more with Penelope? Were you going to, you know, or are you just kind of happy with with the the toe dip that you've done? I think that he probably stays in touch with Penelope once in a while, develops those druid skills while continuing to to keep his uh, fine-tuning his, his ranger skills. He probably dabbles in other things. And, like, I think the whole idea of being called a lower case S spellcaster means he dabbles at least in learning and reading a bit of magic, but never really excelling at it. But that's okay. It's okay to explore things and to do things that we're not naturally good at or may not get better at. Because as long as you're having a good time and you're learning, that's all that matters. Absolutely. All right. Would the three of you who haven't gone yet like to roll or does someone want to go next? I'm fine with rolling. Yeah, we can roll. I rolled before we started talking and I have kept the result. Okay. Well, I think I'm going last. Well, what did you roll? Well, as per usual, when I have to roll for initiative, I roll low. I rolled a three. Okay. Jonathan, what'd you get? rolled a four. <laughs> there we go. Carlton, what'd you get? So. Please tell me you got a two. No, I got a five. <laughs> oh, well, it's All right. a good thing this isn't an actual initiative. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know, the truth about initiative is you don't have to roll high. You just have to roll higher than everybody else. I don't have else. to outrun the zombies. I just have to outrun my friends. <laughs> Absolutely. Carlton. We've heard quite a bit over the last couple of levels of Carlton's life about what he wants to do. In fact, he's already started to dabble a little bit in, well, not a little bit, a lot a bit in becoming a chef. 
what does Carlton do over the short term and planning for the longer term? So what the audience didn't see was that when Carl went Scrooge McDucking, his foot clanked on something and he emerged with this giant crab tank. And so he brings that tank with him to Amphail and he creates a mobile seafood boil shack. And in addition, with his share of the, uh, the pot, uh, he is uh, bringing the Herald's House, uh, which is his, the name of his restaurant off the ground in Amphail, as well as uh, bringing up the House of the Eagle, which he wants to be a home for wayward children. And knowing that Amphail is a very proud city full of proud families, on his menu he has, aside from very fine, very high-end dishes that he's been trying to curate over time, a pay-what-you-want and... The meal's been paid for you so that even if you don't have the gold, you can still eat at a nice restaurant. And on at the Herald's house, he has a chalkboard where he has the number of meals donated by family. And he, as being part of the Eagle Shield family, uh, since they were his adopted family, he puts their name as first and they've donated 50 meals to then get the other houses to be jealous that they're not number one to try to mm-hmm. outbid each other into donating the most amount of meals and that the houses are buying meals for people that cannot afford them. I love it. Okay, so we got to go back to what... Wait, hold on. Can we make him roll to see if he accidentally turns crabs into an invasive species? (laughs) (laughs) Crab bucket, crab bucket. Is this episode just called invasive species? (laughs) Invasive species. Oh, wait till you get to mine. It might. (laughs) There's a local creek, and one child orders a crab, and you're like, okay, how would you like it cooked? And they're like, no, I want the crab. And, yep. and you cannot refuse the big, wide, adorable eyes of this he child. You not be able to. You and the child him. is not told you. It's like, they don't want a pet. This child is, like, going PETA on you, but, like, slowly... Uh, and, one crab and, at a time. And knowing that their their parental units would be like you stole, and so they're like, I'll buy every. This child is a slow plan to buy every one of those crabs, sets them free in a local rift. So here's what I'm I'm gonna blunt this, this child again, is I like Bernie this idea. in disguise. Actually, <laughs> she spends the rest of her existence fucking with each and every one of you. <laughs> and the Carlton would have it no other way. <laughs> There, there, is, you go. there is seating at the Herald's house that is always reserved for the Herald's. Aww. So I do have a question about your apparatus of Kowalsh, which was the thing yes. that you've now turned into the mobile shack. The mobile, what was it called again? Seafood boil shack. Seafood you know, boil so shack. So basically yeah. Carl's is creating Cajun food and water deep and Amphail. So I love this idea of this, uh, essentially a food cart. Stew. Yeah, this is quite the renovation that you're doing on this yeah. apparatus, Qualsh, as uh, it, it was meant to do other things. So I would like for you to roll, give me either an investigation check or does Carlton, is Carlton doing these renovations himself or is he uh, hiring Carlton people? was going to ask the DM, since this is going to take a little bit of time, if his friends would like to assist, especially those that are more... Uh, technically inclined so jonathan the magimuscular this this will fit into what is about to happen to him bernie has no such skills but she'll (laughs) supervise hey listen with a hot dog with ketchup on it so what is jonathan doing to help so jonathan the magimuscular who has come into amphail for one of his uh one of his visits uh sees the apparatus immediately throws on crowns of stars and uh his fists light up He's like, I've heard about these things. I'm going to get to destroy one. And then ah! he sees Carlton. Oh, Carlton's got a giant bucket of like boiling water coming out of it. And Bernie's perched next to it, eating a hot dog. And she's like, hey, hey but uh, so this thing's I was the idea. I, I found this in the, the tower. OK. And I wanted to make it so that the food could be mobile, like take it to the, the racetrack or take it down the water deep for a festival. Okay. I find it to move, but it's really not outfitted for cooking that well, so I kind of have to, like, use the kitchen at the same time. Think you can help me with this? Okay. Through bites of the hot dog, Bernie goes, it's got crabs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not the hot dog. The hot dog's all beef. Okay. Uh, okay. Sure. This is a different challenge than Jonathan the Magimuscular was expecting, but okay. And yeah, jo- at that point, Jonathan the Magimuscular would try and use his arcane skills? You know what? Because the apparatus of Kowals is uh, highly magical, 
in a variety of ways. Sure, I will let you give advantage to Carlton, who needs to roll either an investigation check or a persuasion check. And the reason I'm saying this is investigation is kind of you doing the work yourself. Persuasion is you convincing the right people to do the work. Carlton uh, does like to get his hands dirty. He, as much as he has been a hacker and slasher, there is something about creating and building uh, that really tickles his brain, much mm-hmm. like me. Uh, so I'm going to do this as the investigation. Sure. Give it to me with advantage, as Jonathan is helping. Bernie's supervising. That's a form of helping. <laughs> that is a form of helping. You, by supervising, you're going to make sure that this doesn't go horribly wrong. So if, one of my die was a one. Okay. Unfortunately, the other one was a nine. So with my modifier, that is a 16. Perfect. So Jonathan is helping, Bernie is supervising, and what happens is it takes you a little while for the two of them, like the two of them have to basically point you in the right direction, but then once you're pointed in the right direction, you do an amazing job. I like to imagine that the Bernie pointing is that there's a bit of ketchup that drops on the spot I need to work on, and she points it out. (laughs) Right there, right there. She says, blessings from Bay. She hasn't led me astray so far. It does an excellent job of cooking. It does an absolutely excellent job of moving, especially since you didn't have to do too much to to get that going. When it moves, it's loud as hell. You're going to be heard from a mile and a half away. Great. I want people to know I'm coming to town. I was about to say, maybe that is a plus instead of a minus. It's free marketing. I just pictured like the first many, many times people screaming and running in fear. (laughs) And it takes like, a while. I also a, think a it's literal battle on, crab is walking is up to them. It's very on brand for Carlton to take a legendary magical tank and turn it into a food truck. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I 100%. This is very good. This is very Carlton. Mm-hmm. And I imagine your first attempt at expanding to a larger city uh, involves the gates shut against you <laughs> and a lot of crossbows pointed in your direction. <laughs> Hey, who knows? Maybe the next food we fight is a seafood boil because we fight a lot of food. Yeah. You know, something about food that that the the god above gods in your game finds very funny. Travancore, since you kind of missed it, Carlton turned an apparatus of Kowalsh, which is basically a big battle tank, as Bernie says, into a mobile food truck. Do you help with the stencil design on the side? Because you know what? There's a food truck. You need you need a cool paint job. I like to think I'd help with more than that. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, any kind of recipes that I can think of and know or any spices. I made that zucchini on the island that one time, so I feel like I'm at least serviceable in the kitchen. Oh, so, I'm definitely yeah. tapping Travancore for whenever he makes his return trips to Faerun to bring me some Perconum ingredients. I'm not planting anything because I am not capable of keeping it in check. As yeah. we know from my zucchini garden that has run amok in the pocket house. Which is actually, if you think about it, the first invasive species we introduced <laughs> to new land. So we it are was just, just a very, very tiny space. Very environmentalists, we are not. But I will definitely mm-hmm. have him bring me uh, some spices and some ingredients that I can't normally get from here. So yes. And one last question, kind yeah. of in the same vein as Travancore's uh, jaunt into being a druid. Do you go back to the Feywild often? Do you chat with Blue often? Do you chat with Ekthiarn often? I would think that at this point, uh, with Blue uh, being able to kind of be my bridge to the Grove, uh, I would make at least yearly, if not semi-yearly trips to the Feywild. One, just to stay in touch with Ekthiarn there, but two, to gather ingredients and such and try to learn new skills and, you know, add a year to my life that's only 30 seconds. Well, I was, I'm not going to go into too many details, but what kind of sign do you leave behind to let your friends know that you're currently in the Feywild in case they come by while you're gone? Uh, so I think Carlton would have a, a staff that, you know, helps him in the kitchen uh, and running the tavern, probably mostly his family. Uh, and so hopefully they would tell them, but what he probably would do is where his sword would normally hang above the mantle, he would hang his, like, one of his holy symbols of Myliki, which is a unicorn head there instead. And so then they would see a unicorn hanging, and it's like, oh, Carlton went to go see the unicorn. There you go. So anytime anyone comes by and fail to say hi to Carlton, you know that you'll at least get an incredibly good meal, if not a chance to see him. And if it's 
One of the more arcane folks, I'm pretty sure they have ways of reaching me in the Feywild that I could probably jump back. When is a different story? <laughs> well, the two people who have access to sending are up next, and they would be the people who would attempt to try to contact you across planes. Um, do we want to go in the order of the initiative that we rolled, or what, do one of... Yep, I'm hearing thumbs up. Okay, Jonathan. How do you hear a thumbs up? I, well, what you know like? what? When you're it's in an like audio when... podcast... <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you have subtitles on, you can you can see better or yep. something. You can you hear, hear better. better. You can have subtitles. You can yeah. hear it better. The Distinguished Adventurers are huge fans of Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. It's a Dungeons & Dragons strategy video game that brings together D&D characters from novels, adventures, and multiple live streams into a single grand adventure. It is so much fun to put together a formation that includes champions from our favorite D&D streams, books, and more. Every week there's something new happening in the game, and it's available on almost any platform. Need some loot to gear up your champions? We're happy to offer a free Electrum chest to all of our listeners. This week's code expires on November 6th at 8pm Pacific, so open up the game, go to the shop, and type in this code. R-U-B-E-H-A-Z-E W H O P. So use that code and let us know on Twitter or Instagram what goodies you got. And now, enough of the loot drops. Back to the show. So, Jonathan, in between helping Carlton with his apparatus of Kowalsh and Travancore with his Apple solutions and fun and problems what are you up to for the next short and long term so pretty much right away jonathan the magimuscular would pay up his dues for the rest of his life to the watchful order uh because he doesn't he doesn't know where he's going to be he had he had talked about this a little bit where he was going to travel the plains and become an actual planeswalker so he doesn't know when he's going to be back to pay so he's like uh here and he just literally dumps a pile of money on uh on Aras. Uh, Aras and uh oh who's our who's our friend downstairs? Razo? The Razo. Razo. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Ra- I don't think he would bother Aras with it, but hey Razo, um listen, I need to pay up for the next how old am I? Let's say 80 years. Let's be very very optimistic. And here, and he plops down the amount of money to pay for that many years dues. I don't know if it's surprising to you, but Razo doesn't bat an eye. <laughs> Apparently, this is something that happens on a regular basis. And the, what he calls it is, oh, you're going on an extended hiatus. Okay. And what you learn is that apparently, especially some of the longer lived members of the Watchful Order, they don't spend their entire lives in in Waterdeep, especially some of like the elves that are going to live for a thousand years or so. Every once in a while, they're like, I need a change of scenery, but I don't want to leave the Watchful Order. So here, I'm just going to pay in advance. So he has a whole network of pocket dimensions in order to store this stuff. He even asks you if you want to invest anything so that you could try to have your money make money while you are gone. Like it's he's got a whole system already set up. Razzo the financial panther, eh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And Aras will make sure that you have unlimited access to the teleportation circle back to the the tower, the Amethyst Acropolis, because uh, you've earned it, you and your friends. Once Jonathan has that uh, taken care of, he is going to teleport. First thing he's going to do is teleport to Greenest, and he is going to visit Dorveen. He's going to walk in the door and smile. And normally, in the Hallmark version of uh, a fantasy movie, this would be where you know we've had the meet cute, we've been away. He's returning back to a small town, and he and Dorveen, uh, you know, reconnect and become a thing. Jonathan the Magimuscular remembers why he and Dorveen did not become a thing was because Dorveen was going to stay in Greenest and Jonathan the Magimuscular is an adventurer. And Jonathan the Magimuscular, although he loves Greenest and he's about to demonstrate how, how much, he is not going to stay. What he is going to do is he's going to go uh, see the mayor along with Dorveen and uh, all of our friends who are in charge there. And he's going to take out a map 
and he's going to say, now, travel to Greenest is mostly done along the Uldun Trail coming up from the uh, south and going south uh, or north east. And then it connects to these to other towns over here. As someone who doesn't need to travel roads, I can recognize when some roads are rather dangerous. So Jonathan the Magimuscular would like to invest in a venture to improve every road going into Greenest. Infrastructure spending, my man. It's not... Uh, <laughs> this is, so uh, peek behind the curtain... Uh, I ran a really crappy campaign for a bunch of friends while our normal Sunday DM was out. Uh, it was based on some dwarves deciding that, you know what? This road sucks. We're going to improve it. And it was like a year, like we sped it up, but it was like years of these dwarves doing this. And so, yeah, Jonathan the Muscular is going to improve every road going into and out of Greenest. He'll, he'll oversee the project for a couple of months, whomever steps up and you know if it's dwarf. you handed off your foreman for a lot of the projects has been this amazing dwarf who just has is on top of everything when you have to take off he takes over for uh, overseeing all the projects and when you come back it's all in hand so when you're done being the overseer and and are like i'm gonna hand this off for good uh you've you've got this uh dwarf that you've met from greenest who seems to be on top of things and you're in good hands Roll to see if construction signs become an invasive species. <laughs> oh, and oh, then no. if you fail that roll, Greenest is renamed Montreal. Okay, I will do that. And uh, Jules, I have not forgotten about the invasive species. We're about to get to that here in just a second. Oh, no. uh, for the invasive species of construction signs. Instead of invasive species of construction signs, because we'll, we'll do an actual inves invasive species. Because I like the idea of the road signs. But here's the argument that comes up. Well, what language do we put the road signs in? Everyone says you're supposed to put it in common, but, oh, you know, there's all kinds of really good reasons why you would want to have it in multiple languages. So go ahead and either roll me. Oh, my God. Is Faerun actually Canada? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are legitimate things you got to think about when you're in a multilingual society. I'm surprised there isn't a spell that, like, has text where it'll appear in whatever language a you're most fluent in. Jonathan the Magmuscular actually has an idea about this. Who was the, uh, the, the proprietor of the uh, Golden Rock Inn Tavern? Oh, Gestock. Gestock. What level monk Sounds is Sounds like a French-Canadian name to me. Yeah. He's a level 20 because okay. he's... Good. That's, that's one of the reasons he's a... He's that badass. So Jonathan Well, not the just a badass, but he dropped that whole thing about not dying. Like... Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Jonathan the Magmuscular, knowing things about will say people's pro proclivities and their proficiencies. When this question comes up, he's like, shit, I'll be right back. And he teleports away. He teleports to Waterdeep and goes to Kastok and like, Kastok, you can read every language, right? Yeah. You can, and he says in, in, in Draconic, uh, you can hear any language, right? I'm trying to remember. Yes, the monk yes, thing. Yes, monk thing is both. Yeah. I had to think about that for a second. I'm like, does it also work with speech? Yes. I need your help with something. I need to come up with a spell that I can put on road signs so that anyone who sees them interprets it in the language that they know. You got maybe a week or two? Sure. All right. Jonathan, roll me an arcana check with advantage to see if you can invent the first multilingual road sign. Okay. First roll was a 12. Second roll was an eight. So that susses out to a 23. It takes more than a week. Okay. Because what happens is the problem with the spell that you have to iron out that takes like the extra week and a half or so, so you end up kind of in water deep almost for a full month. It's not getting the the sign or the lettering or whatever to cycle through different languages. The weird argument comes up of what language do you start in, which kind of brings you back to the first question of, well, do we start in common or do we start? And then eventually it's the uh, mechanics of the spell kind of help you figure everything out. So it takes a little longer than you were used to. But then, yeah, you have name your spell, Jonathan. What, what spell do you create? We'll call it Gestalt's Paint of Understanding, because I would have need I can't be there to enchant every sign. I would have needed to have a medium that they could use. So yeah, it's magic paint that when you write something in it, it it's legible in any language. It's legible in any language. And uh after we get done, you know, after he's enchanted, you know, several 
pails or buckets or cans or whatever. He takes two of them and he's like, hey, Bernie, where are you at? Bernie would probably be staying with Cleo. And he teleports him. He's like, okay, bye, everybody. Teleports away, teleports to to where Bernie is. Which and is literally you've teleported into the middle of an underground fight because <laughs> this is how Bernie and Cleo spend Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> as, as soon as he teleports in, like uh like a uh, like uh some beer just splashes him in the side of the face. Like, oh right. Yeah. Bernie's like, oh, oh, Jonathan, you meant now? You're gonna ruin the bet. Get over it. Oh my god. Yeah, so he goes over, he's like, Bernie. Uh, I'm not staying. Uh, hi. And, you know, walk off. and I have something for you. And these are special paints. If you paint something in them, uh, they the, anyone can read them. It just it appears in their head as whatever language they speak. Here's two cans. Oh, oh, this is good. This is really good. No, no. That, uh, this was a side <laughs> quest. <laughs> so paint your invasive so because I'm gonna down with it. Find, uh, Bernie's gonna draw a lot of dicks on things, <laughs> which it, is a universal language in yeah, and of itself. It, actually, so after that delivery, uh, obviously Jonathan the Medjmuskar had told Carlton that he was gonna go and get him exotic ingredients from throughout the plains. You know, mm. and during one excursion, not long after in Avernus, he's like kicking along. He's got like a sack of like. Of uh, dead infernal chickens, because you know those have been a hit. And he's eating—he's eating one of the apples that uh, one of the apple species that Travancore had provided him. God, so this sounds like a Bible passage. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's talking to Carlton, and he's like, yeah, I—I uh, I just it could fail, but it'll probably go through. He rolls well. He's like, yeah, I'm finishing up the run. Uh, I got uh, two dozen this time, although. You know, I keep forgetting that they're immune to fire, so I have to use other stuff. And at that point, some other, we'll say a a giant uh, hellhound surprises him. It's like, oh! And as he uh, goes to cast Crown of Stars, the apple leaves his hand and hits the the surface of Avernus and rolls into a crevice. (laughs) Jonathan, roll, roll me a nature check. Oh, I'm not good at disadvantage. Oh boy. Okay. I just, I just really excited for the like literal whatever kind of metaphor, the biblical metaphor that we've just made up, the like at literal apple tree from hell. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What'd you roll? Twelve. With a twelve, you don't come back to Avernus for a while, you know, because you can't stay very long. It's Avernus. You know, as powerful as you are, there are still lots of really powerful things here. And it's Avernus. So maybe a month or two goes by before you you go on back there. And you do your run and you grab some of these infernal chickens, got yourself a sack. When you notice something in the distance that kind of catches your eye, it's it's different. You're kind of used to this area. And you walk on over and it is a tree, but like... In Avernus, there's no leaves. There's no. There's nothing green or pretty about this. It is as if the ground has just produced jagged spikes of branches. And what you would notice from the distance were their apples, but they are clearly glowing. Jonathan the Magic Muscular picks one, and then messages Carlton. Yeah, right, wait, I'll wait, be the- wait. Are you immune to fire or are you just resistant? Resistant. Go ahead and roll me a dexterity saving throw. Oh, oh dear. Boy. Ooh, this spicy is, apple. This is somewhere, somewhere in your head, right as you're about to pick this apple, you think, huh, this feels <laughs> dumb. <laughs> Stupid even. Yeah. 17? Yeah, I'll say, I'll say you start to, and then you hear that in your head, and so you pull away just in time before you actually grip it. Because now as you've gotten, you know when you get your hand a little too close to yeah, the hot, yeah. hot, hot part of the oven, but you don't actually touch it? So yeah, you could pick this apple if you wanted, but you're probably not going to want to use your hand. Because yeah, hell apples. You have hell apples. Oh my gosh. Does Travancore feel a little disturbance in the apple forest wherever I, he is? Travancore and Bernie both individually are like, something is very wrong. <laughs> they do not have seeds. So the only way to propagate... This tree would be to actually take a cutting and to do the, I've just forgotten the word for it. When you propagate, when you pruning, plant, oh, uh, the, like, you the splicing. A, splice. Yeah, splice. Thank you. 
Yeah, when you put a branch of uh, one tree on another tree, it's it's the only way that you can get seedless oranges. So, th- yeah, there are no seeds. The inside of this apple, when you figure out how to pick one, is just molten fire. <laughs> so Jonathan the Magic Muscular kind of recoils back. He's like, oh. And then in, in frame, you see his uh, mage hand lifting up the apple. It's like, all right, I'm good. Yeah, Carlton, I'll be right there. Uh, just a little bit of a hold up. See ya. Play shift. I just, I'm going to, if possible, Steven is playing a campaign in Avernus right now. And I would love to send his DM to Hell Apple Tree because I think he would incorporate it. <laughs> I mean, Jonathan, if you're okay with it, I'm yep, okay with fine. it. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jonathan the Magic Muscular would also, uh, while not thinking about the consequence of his actions, also visit uh, Penelope and uh, Serene and uh, all of his other friends. So yeah, he, he spends the next few years uh, making the rounds in the multiverse. Is there one specific plane that Jonathan is the most excited to visit? What What is his, his what's the top of his bucket list? The Astral Sea. And he actually, for that one, he, he contracts uh, some folks to come with him because he's pretty sure it's dangerous. Actually, he actually, uh, his, the first offer uh, of uh, crew to come with him to the Astral Sea is his friends. And, uh... Who knows how that goes? Well, you know what? That sounds like the perfect kind of thing that we could find out in a future one shot is uh, Harold of Greenest in space on a spelljammer. But that's that's a different <laughs> story. That's a different story. Bernie, <laughs> I feel like what I should start with is what invasive species are you going to try to introduce somewhere? But I will ask the same question, which is what is Bernie? up to in the near future and then, you know, a little bit further down the road. What are her plans besides invasive species and also spending some time in Neverwinter, it sounds like? So actually, Bernie gets recalled really quickly because um, the head of her order, their term is over. And so uh, the uh, Disciples of Queen Bay actually have an election in which anybody can stand and Bernie doesn't because she does not. That's not what she wants for her life. Not that long afterwards, she sort of is got all this money that they chose to split and she's not really 100% on what to do with it, except for the fact that she's, for some strange reason, doesn't turn it over to the order and she and Cleo just like sit there with this like, Bernie grabs the nut before everybody departs and so she's been storing her share and the pocket dimension is it's been slowly like every time they go in there, she just has to bat off all the zucchini. But but <laughs> every time you go into the house, the three Modrons have perfectly organized and stacked everything. So if you come in with gold, platinum, jewels, whatever you've come in with, by the time you can just kind of leave it there in bags and boxes and stuff. And by the time you come back, it is in a perfectly organized, surprisingly symmetrical very well documented list and uh, kept in closets and in corners and things. Yes, I like. Yes, that's very. And she um she walks in one day. She goes, "Investment? Is that a thing?" And they just look at her. She's, "Oh, you guys will figure that out and tell me, right?" And then she just walks back out. And there is a night where Cleo and Bernie get really, after after the election, get really, really, really drunk. Not because uh, they dislike the new head of their order, but Bernie comes home and wants to know who runs Waterdeep. And finds out that there is no way to know who runs Waterdeep. And so she and Cleo get very angry. The investment comment happens because she is drunk. And they hatch a plan, and Bernie decides that while charitable endeavors are nice, in the long term, she sort of feels like any social enterprise has made, ends up making a commodity out of the people that they purport to help. And the thing that her order has always preached is that hopefully one day they will be obsolete. And she realizes that the money, if she just gives it somewhere, is good, but it's not going to affect any long-term change. And so she and Cleo, uh, for all outward intents and purposes, 
go back to hustling fights, which is where Jonathan finds her. She takes many vacations and goes and pests and, you know, drapes herself atop whatever piece of of the traveling crab boil that is Carlton's not currently working on and eats hot dogs and points things out to him. Um, she takes a little while uh, when it is... Uh, <laughs> When it is done and disguises herself as a small child <laughs> and makes crabs into an invasive species in Ampale. Um, there is the invasive but... species. There we go. <laughs> and and before, right before she leaves for the election, she she hands Traven for what is shaped like a business card, uh, but it is a sending spell, which in my mind is how you hand out your card to people. You know, magical networking. There's one sending spell on it. And she's like, look, if you're going back, I'm going to... Election season's weird, right? It can take... We need to rewrite our guidelines. It was good at heart, but it can take like three weeks and it can take like three months. So if you plan on going back and like fomenting an entire government overthrow anytime soon here, here's my card. You only get one. It's only got one on it, okay? Do you want a second one? I've got two. And she hands Travancore two, two sending cards. And she's just like, if you're going there, I let me know. It won't feel like help to you. How about that? Let's just be honest. But it will be. Uh, and she like pops off to go. She goes and, and heads over to do that. But uh, her and Cleo outwardly give the appearance that nothing has changed. And secretly, they start working to dismantle the government of Waterdeep and build a network of people through her contacts, specifically in the Thieves' Network and this nice little old lady that she goes and has tea with, who is very, very helpful. Uh, and she works to campaign to unmask the leaders of Waterdeep and to change the governmental structure so that the people of Waterdeep have a say in who rules them. And in a small act of selfishness, she works tirelessly with the Modrons to make that money into a really great supply because every great campaign needs to be financed. And a very tiny portion of that, she spends looking into... Who owns the land that the Amethyst Acropolis sits on? And she uh, starts... <laughs> Bernie's going to try to buy that. <laughs> she, she licked it and she wants it to be hers. Yeah. I'm going to do, do two things for you here. You don't have to roll for it. What you find out is you do find out who owns the land. I will tell you in a moment. But first, I love that you're using the Thieves Network to try to turn them into basically low-key revolutionaries. What I want you to give me, what I want you to give me is either a performance or a persuasion check because you are kind of changing the mandate of the Thieves Guild. They're now uh, stealing back the government for the people, but that's a different kind of thief. So That's true. All right. So performance or what? Performance or persuasion. I'll, I I'll let you pick. I think we're going to do persuasion since it's got a plus nine. But knowing me, I'm going to have like the roll will be total of a 10. That's a 15. Nah. Excellent. I was going to say, can I help by feeding the Thieves Guild? And so now they've got nice full bellies. <laughs> Birdie's going to like have not told you. She's like, yeah. okay. I need you yeah. to cater. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, but. It's a surprise You don't know party. what it's for, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, are you going to want uh, cupcakes or brownies? Or cupcake brownies? Is that a thing? It is now. Time of things wander oh. so far, far away. <laughs> I mean, or this could be a time that you're in Waterdeep. Oh. Bertie will invite all of you to this dinner. <laughs> you have no clue why you are at, like, a... Oh, my God. Like, literally, this is, like, when people hold, like, secret campaign dinner. No mm -hmm. But you all recognize Joster Tea Leaf, and he is wonderful. And you, you recognize a couple of the other people. Oh yeah, exactly, I like these guys. Yeah, they're great. You don't exactly know what's going on, and a lot of them are speaking in a language that none of you understand because only Bernie and these thieves speak. Thieves can't. I'm just so Ralph it's a little weird. I'm sorry. I'm in danger. Thieves can, Lauren. <laughs> thieves can <laughs> speak. Thieves can't. <laughs> so yeah with your role and with with a little bit of help from your friends even if it's unwittingly 
it takes a little while and that's less out of it's not that they're not enthusiastic about the idea because you'd long ago learned that well yes this is a thieves guild they're a little bit more about you know that they were robbing from the rich anyway i think her argument is everybody in your guild earned the knowledge and the right to be there shouldn't the leaders of your city do the same and you're very persuasive the reason it takes a tiny bit longer than you'd like is simply because they have to learn completely new skill sets because a lot of them don't have any social skills. <laughs> oh, they don't so, need social skills. No, 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 no. We're we're not asking for social skills, Lauren. They're not the face of this revolution. No, they're no, not they're the face. They're the information network that Bernie's going to use to bring down these people. Absolutely. But all of them need to have just, just a little bit of ability to uh, talk their way out of a problem instead of just fight their way out. So that's that's the only reason it takes a little longer, but it does. And this is also how you find out that Vajra Safar owns the land under the Amethyst Acropolis, but you don't find it out from the Thieves' Guild. Where are you staying in Waterdeep while you are here in Waterdeep? Are you at Gestocks? I When Bernie's in Waterdeep, she stays at the Golden Rock Tavern and she routinely has brunch with death and feeds death information about all of her friends. And I love it. Advance of the breakfast, the unsettling breakfast they're going to have. And also really enjoys the fact that death at the Golden Ark Tavern makes Gestalt really uncomfortable and Gestalt makes death really uncomfortable. So this is just a, a good time had by her and her alone. About a week, let's say, a significant enough amount of time from when you had this little party and the decisions were made about turning the Thieves' Guild into slightly something else, you come back to the Golden Rock Tavern to find it empty except for one person, Vajra Safar. And we won't roleplay the whole thing out, but what you very quickly learn is she tells you, just flat out, she owns the land under the Amethyst Acropolis. And what she says is... Because the people who are protecting Waterdeep deserve to know who it is that is protecting them. And she leaves her business card. You might be unsuccessful in buying the land, but you find an incredibly powerful ally in dismantling the entire government of Waterdeep. And the, the person who might be the most powerful magic user in Waterdeep. She eventually is able to introduce you to Laurel Silverhand who is the open lord of Waterdeep, the only one that is the one person that everybody knows. And I think between your- Bernie wears gold to that meeting, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I figured. I think between all of those connections, while it'll take a while, you're, you're starting, you're starting to, to get that working in Waterdeep. We have time. Bernie has a lot of time. Well, and, you know, sometimes- Sometimes it's easier, like Travancore said, to make change gradually and, and do stuff like that. And there's a point in where you're all in Waterdeep. Maybe it's around when Bernie is taking care of this and invited you all to this party that you don't exactly know what's going on. So you're having a little get together in the Golden Rock Tavern. And it's less of a reunion because you do see and talk to each other on a regular basis. And I think that is the point in where Jonathan brings up the idea of going to space. I think that's where we're going to end the campaign. Oh, can I say one more thing? You Absolutely. So on the back of one of the uh, sending stone slash business cards that Bernie um, gave him, Travancore writes in Perconomies the words retirement plan. And that's all I'll say. I like that. I like that as well. And now there will be a retirement in space. No, that will be, that will be, because like I said, this may be the end of this chapter of the Heralds of Greenest, and we may be semi-retiring these characters, but they're going to go on to do interesting things. And who knows, maybe at one point, Jonathan will convince them all to get onto a spell jammer and go do some jamming in space. Hey, I love y'all. Thanks for playing this game with me for a couple of years. It's been fun. I can't wait to see what characters you make next. Me over here, watery-eyed over retirement. Yeah. I love you all, too. Just because you're retired doesn't mean you have to stop doing the fun things. Oh, no, I can't wait for campaign, too. Well, and campaign, two will be coming. It's going to take a little bit because, hey, you know, campaigns. Well, we got to figure out what we all want to do next. But you, those of you who have been listening to us for a while, do not fret. There's going to be other things happening. 
uh, some non-D&D things and some other things happening in between. But until then, we'll see you next encounter. Thanks for listening to our adventure. If you've enjoyed our show, then visit us at distinguishedadventurers.com. There you can find links to our podcast and social media, pictures and bios of our cast, info on our Patreon, and much more. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our Patreon patrons and extend a special thanks to our top-tier patrons. Thank you, Forrest from Stabby Quest, Jesse Florence, Nate Zakari, Rebecca, a.k.a. Bunny Monster, Sir Narvi and Sailor Tweak, John Adi, Linnea Boyev, Lori, a.k.a. Calamity Jane, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.